Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day, met in the homes of the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Amen. Amen. This morning's message in our series of titling messages, the one where we partner together, because that's what we're heading into. Let me pray for us. Father, meet with us this morning. Help us tie all the things together so that we can work together with forward motion, with active participation, with something real and tangible as we work towards your goals, your aims, your dreams for our lives individually and collectively. We ask that you teach us, you encourage us, and you draw us close this morning. Amen. So last week, last Sunday, um, which feels like a thousand years ago, but last Sunday, we saw this original partnership between God and man, how it was broken, how God seeks after us. As we hide, we choose to hide in shame and in fear, and God longs to come after us. And once we answer his questions, once we admit what we've done, he stops asking questions, and we begin that beautiful partnership journey with him. And we've looked at the last couple of days, or whatever it's been, um, three weeks, no, two days, um, over these big characters of, of the Bible, these, these fathers of faith, if, if you will. And although they're thought of as giants of faith, um, we can see so many similarities in our own journey. We're called like Abraham was. We're called to the small things, the small steps that become big impacts. God is working in your story, calling you to something greater than your current self and your current circumstance. We wrestle with control like Jacob did. And we must give up the control of, of the timeline, control of the fear that we'll miss out of this promise that God has if we don't help him out with the execution of his dream. That somehow the God of the universe is, is too big picture to care for us. We see time and time again how much God wants to be in the details. Because like Joseph, God gives us big dreams to live for. Purposes for his kingdom that we get to live out. Wonderful. Exhausting. Rewarding. Frustrating. Challenging. Impossible. Yet beautiful dreams. So this morning, we're pivoting a little, and we're looking at how it all comes together in this context of, of partnership together, a community of believers together. So what happens when we all seek out and follow his call? What happens when we give the control to him? We spend time considering what dream he set for our lives and how that blesses the church around us if we lean into that dream. When we consider, what is my offering? What do I bring? In Genesis 2, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll be a, I will make a suitable helper for him, and man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. It is not good for man to be alone. 
We need relationships. You need deep relationships, caring people in your life. Man was not made to be alone. So God created the family with Adam and Eve. That was the first partnership. And then Jesus establishes the family of believers in the church. And he looked and he said, this is good. And the idea of partnership in the gospel is a bigger story, a more linear theme than just sort of plugging in new topics of learning on a Sunday every month. And Marcy and I, we don't quite know how this is going to pan out yet. We don't know how it's going to play out over the months to come. We're listening and we're journeying together as partners with the church. We're members of one body, one family, this body of Christ, the family of believers, that first Corinthians. You know, some of us are feet, some are hands, I guess some are internal organs. We belong together. We have different roles, different functions. And if we're all partnering in a, in a healthy way, we form this partnership together for his kingdom's sake. But if you don't do the personal work, then all I can offer you is my vision for this church. All I can give you is my picture for what God wants us to become without your vision without your dreams, without your investment, we end up with a list of programs and a list of calendar invites that you can choose to accept or decline. God speaks to you as much as he speaks to me, or as much as he speaks to Marcy, as much as he speaks to Jasmine, and I need you to be listening. I need you to know what you were called into. Like Abraham, where is God calling you? Might be a geographical place, might be a people group or a purpose. And who is he telling you to take along with you? I need you to wrestle with God. I need you to give him control. Church is, is a family, and if we behave like Jacob did, we run the risk of doing the same damage he did to his own family. Jacob's family was a mess. He couldn't get his stuff together to trust God for the plan. There's wheeling and dealing. There's an I know better than you know better. And the result was this broken family that doesn't trust, let alone partner. And I need you to dream. I need you to dream God dreams. I need you to persevere when it's hard, to stay the course when it's slow, to recommit when you're challenged. Bear with me here. There's a scene in The Fellowship of the Ring, the movie version, um, because it's what I can picture. I read somewhere as I was reviewing this clip, I read somewhere and it said, um, the, the English-speaking world is divided into two groups, those that have read The Lord of the Rings and those that haven't. <laughs> and I thought, that is profound. And then I thought, no, that's obvious, isn't it? That's everything in the world is divided into you have or you haven't. That's the daftest thing I've ever thought. Anyway, <laughs> the book is far longer. The book is w far more poetic, and it's, it's beautiful. But if you've seen the movie, you can maybe picture this scene. So we're in, in Rivendell, if you're with me, the Valley of the Elves. You know, It's this beautiful sanctuary, this magical city that marks the edge of the civilized lands and the start of the wilderness. It kind of borders this gap. It's the last um, comfort place. They're, and they're in this high council meeting with, with Elrond and all these folk. And they're trying to decide what to do with this ring, this responsibility that they've been charged with, the fate of the world. You can sense a parallel, right? And they're arguing, not so much as to, to who should do it, like, I want to do it, I want it. It's not so much that. It's more about, well, you shouldn't. 
I don't want you to do it. They each won't, or they can't take on the burden, but they also can't see it in someone else's hands either. And then Frodo speaks up. Frodo is a hobbit, a halfling. His big feet, he's unimpressive in stature. Hobbits enjoy simple things, slow lives. They're the opposite picture of a, of a warrior or leader. And he says, I'll take on the burden. I'll lead this thing, though I do not know the way. And Gandalf, the wizard, the sage, he steps in and says, I will support you for as long as this burden is yours to carry. Gimli, the dwarf, says, you have my axe. Legolas, one of the elves, says, you have my bow. And Aragorn, the heir to the throne of Gondor, offers his sword. They know what they bring to the table. They're aware of the role they play, the weapon they can wield against the enemy. They know how they have been equipped. They know what their offering is. Frodo says he'll do it, but he won't get far alone. This church is located in one of the most influential parts of the most influential cities in the most influential country in the world, this neighborhood church. And we are wasting the opportunity if we just wait for a clever formula. What we need is a fellowship of people knowing what they have, what they have been charged with, and willing to bring it for the good of the kingdom, for the task at hand. So don't shirk that responsibility. What you bring to the table, what is your offering? Don't assume someone else will fill that void. Whether you think it's someone else in the room, whether you think it's a staff member or, or an elder, I am not Gandalf. I would make a good wizard. I'm not Aragorn, I'm not descendant of, Il of Isildur, heir to the throne of Gondor. I'd make a good king too, actually, but no, I'm not those people. Nope. Marcy, Jasmine, I, and everyone else, we're just hobbits. We're just, the, we're just the little ones, the unimpressive. We'll take on the burden. We'll take on the journey, but we don't know the way. We need the fellowship. We need the people. That's as far as I want to take the Lord of the Rings analogy. So let's go to Romans. May God, who gives the patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus, that all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And we have that picture of the church in Acts that was read, they're meeting together, they're sharing everything, there's fellowship, there's food, there's friendship, there's joy, there's praise. And we see a simple picture of what church can be. And we want to be that church, a church that loves the Bible wholeheartedly, learning from it, living it out. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They weren't coerced from the outside to pay attention. They didn't do it out of duty or desire. They desperately wanted to learn. You can kind of hear them. You can imagine, you can picture it. Them saying, tell us again. Tell us more. What did Jesus say? What did he do? Why did that happen? A self-motivated hunger for the Bible's teaching. And it wasn't just self-motivation. It was a continuation. It was perseverance and endurance. It wasn't there for a day or two and then gone. The hunger never left. 
Now, we've seen that here at LNCC over the past 18 months or so. This church has been more committed to exploring Scripture than ever before. Right, Marcy? So we're on track. And our hunger for the Bible inevitably changes. In the early years of your faith, you, you hear and learn things that are totally new. And after a while, you start going over old ground. But it, it's still new. It's always new. Because the Spirit of God who is speaking is living and active, and our circumstances in which we hear it is always changing. So we need to hear those old truths in new ways. The Bible is a light in the darkness. If we don't use it and pay attention to what it shows, we lose our way. We'll go wrong. And that teaching must be for learning and for living. We want to be a church that loves the Bible that learns from it, that lives it out, desperate to see others join in this wonderful gift on offer. And a church of close, close fellowship. They devoted themselves to the teaching and, and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. And one of the Greek words there that's been translated as devoted, it means they met regularly and faithfully. And the other kind of term, it means they, they shared the same enthusiasm. So what's the difference between going to church and going to a gym? I think... We often don't see a difference. The gym is convenient. The church is convenient. It's somewhat clean. I'll attend at the time that I've set aside this week. I'll put some work in for a few sometimes reluctant minutes, and then I'll carry on with my week. And seeing church just as a place to get your spiritual exercise, like a, a weekly maintenance, like a weekly tune-up, much like a gym, where it doesn't really matter if you relate to anyone else while you're there, that's not the way. That's our individualistic consumer culture that's programmed us to treat church that way. It's about me. It's about what I get and what I benefit from. But we want to meet together out of a commitment to one another, to encourage and to help one another, committed to welcoming new faces, to connecting to others, to seeking out each other's needs, sharing life beyond making the room a friendly place, a deeper fellowship that's described in, in 1 John, fellowship that which... That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The bonds of fellowship between believers is that we are all united with God through our faith in Jesus. And we are members of one family, a family of God, with God as the Father. So we're brothers and sisters. We don't choose each other. But we're closely related to one another in Christ, and nothing can change that. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And as family, the church becomes the family home, a place of protection, of stability, of security. A family home we can count on through changes in life, through illness and deaths and graduations and career and heartbreak and whatever else. We looked at Jacob yesterday. We don't always win in life. We lose sometimes, sometimes often. You don't get the promotion. You lose the deal. Things don't go as planned. You can handle failure if you have a family. Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. Two are better than one. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's just too bad because there's no one to help him. In our family, we like to play board games, and the goal of some of the simpler board games, as you know, is to get home, right? That's that, to be the first one home. Because when you're home, you're safe. Homes were meant for safety. 
for shelter in a storm, a place where it's safe to cry. That's what homes are for. A shelter in a storm when you can let down and be consoled and comforted and cared for. That's a church home. And how do we create that? By demonstrating love. By making an intentional effort to move from guest to family member. And the difference between a house guest and a family member is simply their investment. If you think about a guest that stays at your house, you might make things nice for them, set up the room, provide a basket of welcome treats. They enjoy the space, they enjoy the rest, they enjoy the benefits the home gives, and that's where it ends. And that's fine, because that's what you expected from them. You wanted to be hospitable and welcoming. But the guest that comes in and starts to help and serve, that offers a hand, that cleans, that cooks, they may have arrived at a guest, but they'll leave as family. Imagine the family member that just shows up to eat and sleep, and says not a word outside those activities, that leaves the moment their eyes are open, the moment they wake. Are they the ones that you run to for shelter and encouragement and celebration? Or do you go to the ones that are available, that ask, that care, that share life, that celebrate wins, that commiserate losses, that carry the burdens when they're heavy? Fellowship isn't always easy. People are hard work. But don't give up. Let's be a church marked by unfailing love. That early church worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity. They met in homes. They ate together, behaving as a family. They recognized if they shared faith in Jesus, they were brothers and sisters. They belonged to this spiritual family that is more significant and longer lasting even than a biological family. So we start a community group with a meal. It's not just the hook to get people there. It's not just the hook. It's a little bit of a hook. It's not the hook to get us to the real work. It's the work. And the result of it in Acts says it's joy and generous hearts. So let's be a church that does that and be a church that prays. Because that early church was devoted. They devoted themselves to prayer. The Holy Spirit within us, combined with devotion to teaching, gives, gives rise to this constant communication between us and the throne room of our Heavenly Father. Do you rejoice in all He's done? Because if you do, we should be telling Him again and again and again. Do we need something for ourselves or for someone else? Then we know that he's the one who provides. So we go to him with our request. We don't let up until we have what we need. Or God changes our understanding of what we actually need. But prayer is at the very core of it, at the very center. So there's the beginning of a pattern of the church that we want to be. The church God wants you to partner in. A church that loves the word learning from God's word, from the people of faith that have gone before us. A church that sits at the foot of the cross, asking to know more, striving to live differently. A church with intentional fellowship. A church that seeks deep fellowship with our Lord through real, honest prayer. There never was, there never will be a perfect church. Three chapters on from what Yanni read, we see how quickly it goes wrong, even in that great example of a church. But there is a direction we need to go in. 
So we meet together to hear about Jesus. We can experience from each other how we feel towards him too. And if we bring our offerings of who we are, of who we are made to be, if we bring the dreams God has given us, the gifts he's given us, the resources he's lavished upon us, if that is how we approach the church, this family, this partnership, then each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. And isn't that the church to be a part of? Seeing people turn to the Lord Jesus being saved among us? I hope so. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to build. That's what I want to partner in. So what about you? Elf, dwarf, wizard, or man, what are you bringing to the fellowship, to the family? What is God calling you into or out of? Where are you wrestling with him? What dreams has he placed on your life? What is your offering? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. So let's finish our time together this weekend. Let's finish the work sharing in the Lord's Supper and communion together. So the communion is coming around now if you want to make sure you have one. Communion is an act, a symbol that seals the covenant of grace and forgiveness, restoring our relationship, our identity, our unity with the Father. Everyone is invited to the table. We join in this, this act together in community. So as they're coming around, let's just take a moment to center ourselves, to picture our Lord. supper with his friends, he took, he took bread and broke it to symbolize what would happen to his body, and he gave thanks to God for the good things he gives. Passed that bread around the room and said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This symbolizes my body broken for you, the punishment I will take that allows you to be reconciled to God. So take, eat, Pass that cup around the room and said, take, drink. This wine represents my blood, the blood that seals the covenant of reconciliation. Drink this and remember the sacrifice that's made. church that seeks deep community with each other, more than a Sunday program, a place of connection and support. This is family. This is home. 